Welcome to Idlewild Cottage, a quiet place where kindred spirits can linger together over a cup of tea, savoring all things lovely and cozy. My name is Juliana, and I'm delighted to have you. Each episode here at the cottage will center around a theme. That theme will be celebrated in a number of ways, through literature, art, nature, and even some favorite movie scenes, we'll cherish the sweet and simple things of life. So make yourself at home, and I'll put the kettle on. As we make our way through the month of September, it seems quite fitting to center our thoughts for a little while on school days. Now, when I think of school, multiple images come to mind. Naturally, I think of my own school days and my kids' school experiences, But where I most like to let my imagination wander is in quite a different setting. The old-fashioned one-room schoolhouse has always been a romantic ideal in my mind. So, during our time together today, we'll draw inspiration from books, poetry, art, and movie scenes that are in some way reminiscent of this theme. When I was about nine years old, I got as close as I have ever gotten to experiencing the one-room schoolhouse life. I was in a community theater production of Tom Sawyer. Now, I didn't actually have a speaking part, but I had a name. I was Peggy Harper, and I got to wear a calico dress and do all sorts of old-fashioned schoolgirl things, like skip rope in the schoolyard and whisper to my deskmate during class. It was sublime. As we look back on the actual one-room schoolhouse experiences in North America, they are quite broad and varied. But a couple of stories stand out in my mind as giving both a winsome and fairly realistic perspective of some classrooms of long ago. Let's first journey back to mid-19th century Ontario. Canadian author Ralph Connor opens his book, Glengarry School Days, with a description that pulls us into the reality that, from a child's perspective, school was much more than simply receiving an education. School encompassed relationships with peers, lively competition with classmates, and that ever-constant desire to be not in the classroom, but in the great outdoors. Let's read from Connor's opening chapter. By the way, it's interesting to note that school is still in session during the summer. The 20th school was built of logs hewn on two sides. The cracks were chinked and filled with plaster, which had a curious habit of falling out during the summer months. No one knew how, but somehow the holes always appeared on the boys' side, and being there were found to be most useful, for, as looking out of the window was forbidden, through these holes the boys could catch glimpses of the outer world, glimpses worth catching, too, for all around stood the great forest, the playground of boys and girls during noon hour and recesses, an enchanted land peopled not by fairies, elves, and other shadowy beings of fancy, but with living things, squirrels, chipmunks, weasels, chattering groundhogs, rabbits, and stealthy foxes. A wonderful place, this forest, for children to live in, to know, and to love. 
and in after days, to long for. If you'd like to read more from Glengarry School Days, head over to LibriVox or Project Gutenberg. This book is in the public domain, so it should be fairly easy to find. Let's move up in history now. Dorothy Canfield Fisher was an American author known for her work in bringing the Montessori teaching method to the United States. Her heartwarming novel, Understood Betsy, was published in 1917 and gives a sweet description of this ideal. As we step into this chapter, Betsy is very reluctant to start school. She's the new girl in town, moving from the big city to a small farming community. Betsy is surprised to discover that the young girl in Gingham, waiting in front of the tiny schoolhouse, is actually the teacher. I'll pick up mid-chapter. She led Betsy into a low-ceilinged room with geraniums at the windows, where about a dozen children of different ages sat behind their desks. At the first sight of them, Betsy blushed crimson with fright and shyness and hung down her head. But, looking out the corners of her eyes, she saw that they too were all very red-faced and scared-looking. They don't see many strangers, the teacher explained, and they feel very shy and scared when a new scholar comes, especially one from the city. Is this my grade? asked Elizabeth, thinking at the very smallest grade she had ever seen. This is the whole school, said the teacher. There are only two or three in each class. You'll probably have three in yours. There, that's your seat. Elizabeth sat down before a very old desk. The teacher stepped back to her desk and took up a violin that lay there. Now, children, we'll begin the afternoon session by singing America. She drew the bow across the strings in a big chord and said, Now! And Betsy burst into song with the others. The sun came in the windows brightly. The teacher, too, sang as she played. And all the children, even the littlest ones, opened their mouths wide and sang. I've noticed that singing is typically a part of these early school scenes. It seems that teachers of a century ago, who were often quite young, had to be pretty well-rounded in all subjects. Another common theme which always catches my eye in these schoolhouse settings is the description of the lunch hour. Now, as we gather here at Idlewild Cottage, I like to imagine we're sharing afternoon tea together. But today, let's reimagine this scene. Let's instead picture ourselves as the girls in calico and boys in knickers, released from the schoolhouse at noon. Those of us who live close to the school will race home for a cozy meal with our families. Meanwhile, those of us who live a mile or two away from the school will grab our lunch pails and make our way down to the brook. There, our tins of milk have been chilling all morning. We pull out parcels from our lunch pails, exchanging and bartering as we do so, and delight in the feast spread before us. Buttered biscuits with slices of cold lamb, hard-boiled eggs, apples, bread and butter with corned beef, sausage, pickles, and, oh joy, the desserts, ginger cakes, dear little molasses pies, fresh donuts, and flaky apple turnovers. Incidentally, these menus are borrowed from two books, What Katie Did 
and Farmer Boy. As we sip our cool milk and tuck into our hearty feast, we'll turn our attention to today's poem. The Barefoot Boy was written by American poet John Greenleaf Whittier in 1855. This poem appears in McGuffey's Sixth Reader, a book that many school children would have been familiar with in the late 1800s. Help yourself to another turnover as I read an excerpt. Blessings on thee, little man, barefoot boy with cheek of tan, with thy turned-up pantaloons and thy merry whistled tunes, with thy red lip redder still, kissed by the strawberries on the hill, with the sunshine on thy face, through thy torn brim's jaunty grace. From my heart I give thee joy, I was once a barefoot boy. A later generation of barefoot boys and girls is brought to life in a 1946 painting by Norman Rockwell. If you were with us last time at Idlewild Cottage, you'll remember that there's an enchanted picture frame in our sitting room. Today, the frame displays the painting, Norman Rockwell Visits a Country School. As always, Rockwell captures this American scene with warmth, humor, and nostalgia. I encourage you to look it up for a peek into a real-life one-room schoolhouse. For our final look into schoolhouse life, let's turn our attention to favorite cinematic moments. Oh goodness, this was a hard one to narrow down. I found it interesting that all of the one-room schoolhouse movies and TV shows that came to mind were based on books. In fact, I recently checked in with our Instagram community, and you all had similar thoughts. The shows that especially stand out are Good Old Little House on the Prairie, Anne of Green Gables, Christy, do you remember that show from the 90s? And finally, When Calls the Heart. We'll look at just a couple of these today, starting with the classic Little House on the Prairie. I grew up watching this show, so it was pretty natural for me to share it with my own kids. Many of our favorite scenes take place in the one-room schoolhouse of Walnut Grove. My daughter recently recalled one episode in particular, which just happens to be called Little Women. I'll set the stage for us, so to speak. The school teacher, Miss Beadle, has helped the children organize a theater day. In preparation, the students have been gathering in small groups to rehearse various scenes from favorite books. They are quite eager to perform their pieces for their parents at the end of the week. Mary and Laura Ingalls are part of a quartet of ladies who have prepared a scene from Little Women. Well, maybe I should rephrase that. Mrs. Olson has prepared the scene, rewriting and manipulating the script with the aim of her daughter Nellie taking center stage for the whole production. Nellie plays the part of Meg, and Laura Ingalls has an especially memorable line. Let Meg tell you. And the focus of the script shifts masterfully back to Nellie. This is definitely an episode with that classic Walnut Grove feel to it. And it's a pretty good standalone episode too, so it's a great one to just jump in and watch. Oh, and if you do, keep an eye out for the noteworthy wigs. Now, there are lots of great Anne of Green Gables moments that take place in the schoolhouse, but I'll just briefly mention one of them today. 
how many of us learned to spell chrysanthemum from Anne Shirley. I love the withering glance she throws Gilbert's way as she defeats him and the teacher's begrudging acknowledgement of her success. C-H-R-Y-S-A-N-T-H-E-M-U-M Well, friends, as we wrap up our time together today, I'd like to once again draw our hearts toward the Psalms for a bit of encouragement. The schoolhouse ideal reminds me that we are approaching a fount of wisdom as we open God's Word. Not only that, but we have an all-wise, all-knowing teacher who delights in gently pulling us to his side to fill our imaginations with stories and truths that shape who we are and who we are becoming. Let's invite him to teach us through these selections woven from Psalms 25, 32, and 86. Lead me by your truth and teach me your ways, Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. And the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Kindred spirits, may we enter back into this day knowing that our teacher's eye is tenderly watching over us, ready to give us good, good things. He doesn't expect us to have the syllabus all figured out on day one. We can approach with confidence and simply ask, Teach me, Lord, and he will. Thank you for joining me today, dear ones. Please come again soon to Idlewild Cottage. <laughs>